International. Jeff Zimmerman, and I'm honored today to be a guest on Leading the Blind with Ariel Norman and Jared McCorkle, sitting around here getting Normanded and McCorkled, talking uncomfortably about my finances in the commenting industry <laughs> in a hip house in Austin. Thank you for having me, guys. What's the barbecue place in Lockhart called? Black's Barbecue. Blacks, Blacks. I was telling uh, Ariel that I realized last night that... We'd made, we'd made plans for barbecue lunch, and I didn't realize until last night that Lockhart was not a neighborhood in Austin, but was in fact a 30-minute drive from Austin. Yeah. So, That's so, like, so, so, so thank you for reaccommodating yeah. me there. <laughs> It's like Decatur and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, a lot of Atlanta rappers talk about it, mm. like it's part of, and it's like a town. Well, depending like on where you away. are, yeah. yeah. I, I think my girlfriend had been reading an article about how, like, they made some parallel to like Lockhart being like the Bushwick of Austin where when people mm. get priced out they're moving there and she thought oh Bushwick it's just a couple stops on the L not, uh, uh, a thir- no. not, not at 30 minutes at 85 right. miles an hour if there was public transportation down here yeah. there sure. would be probably yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah we have a lot of little towns that are the Bushwick of Austin <laughs> that way then yeah uh, most of them have a good barbecue joint. Yeah. Hey, can you turn my... Uh, now you really have to do a show tonight because I feel like everybody who visits Austin has to have a show where they talk about how they accidentally ate too much barbecue and now... Oh, no, I ate too much struggling. barbecue on purpose. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, yeah. too much barbecue for comedy to be at its peak. Yeah. Y'all have that, right, where you can't really like eat too much before doing comedy or else... No. Oh. I eat. Oh, yeah, I like being a pig. You like you just like tons, <laughs> tons of food, tons of coffee. Yeah, is ideal for you. What about you? I'd prefer not to overeat, but it happens I mean, a lot. Anyway. She sneaks up on me. I get I get in shark mode where just a membrane falls over my eyes, and then I don't even know what happens. I appreciate yeah. that. You wake yeah. up after a blackout of eating. Yeah, yeah exactly. and, I, and the, the ocean is just raining scales. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that sensation people describe with overeating, and they describe it as a negative thing. Like where you're well. like struggling to breathe. No matter what uh, adjectives you want to add, I'm going to be like, yeah, I really like that feeling. That's, <laughs> it feels I guess good. I can't get a straight. You really have never been to the point where you're like, I wish I were bulimic just so I could get rid of how bad it God, feels no. to be. God, no. Absolutely you know, not. I had, a, I had an idea that... that I'm, more, I'm pathologically afraid of that. Honestly, we oh, sorry. I would like to have a surgical procedure. I think I, I really don't think we're far off from it as a culture where you have a hole kind of like a smoker like a voice anatomy. hole yeah yes. yeah have a hole cut in your esophagus and you put a like a little chute in there that you can run down your shirt yeah. into a bag you maybe keep it under your pants and then you can <laughs> eat and swallow all you want and the, that biomass just goes into the bag kind of colostomy compost kind of or or well, feed. Send, send it to ethiopia yeah, yeah or you could just feed the dog or or you oh, could yeah, slop hogs or or, 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 or i worry that people wouldn't be full that's though. not bad and you just keep buying shit. Well, that's I guess the idea. For rich that's, this is for you know to enhance you know yeah. enhance the GDP and stuff. We got to sell more to people. If I'm they on, can afford it. I'm on the other end of it. Whereas like I, w- I just need to get some sort of sawdust into my stomach mm-hmm. so I'm not hungry. Yeah, there's some of us who are still poor. But yeah. for, for those who have money, um, they do want that, and I'm sure it will happen. Yeah, they already have some pills and stuff. Some of my paleo acquaintances 
have, to have these pills they that they eat that like kind of stops it from getting absorbed in your body somehow. It's like charcoal and stuff, especially if they're gonna drink alcohol, but for them it's even like tortilla chips. If you eat the pill, I think you wind up just like shitting everything out without it being absorbed at all. And mm-hmm. so I tried it once just to, to, I was like, well, I'm gonna drink some alcohol. Like, let me see what it, what it does. And I was shitting blood for two days, Whoa. so. Um, yeah, I'm not, I don't recommend charcoal pills, but maybe they work for some people. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, it's bad for charcoal pill. I, I read that activated charcoal is real bad for you. Like, they give it to you if you've to been... To pump po- your stomach. Yeah, if you've been poisoned because it draws things yeah. out. But it, what it also does is it draw. It doesn't just pull out poison. It pulls out vitamins and your yeah. medication and, <laughs> and every everything else that you're supposed to have in you. And so, yeah. I did like, not need to be convinced not to eat charcoal. Did, did, what are these... What are, I missed that part. What do they do? What are they doing this for? Well, supposedly it like stops alcohol. It stops the hangover uh, preemptively. Um, And then, and then for these paleo people, like I said, they wouldn't just eat them before having margaritas. But they, it was like any corn or anything. If they were going to be bad and have you know corn or whatever non-paleo foods then uh, they would eat the pill before and somehow it was supposed to not mess up the whole perfect situation in their bodies i didn't think about this until now we can get to the reason we're here soon but i just like i used to think i was annoyed by vegans and vegetarians because they were like you know it's like showing off some no it appears like more of a well no there's that too but it appears more of like kind of like finicky yeah. high maintenance thing but i think i'm equally annoyed with the paleo oh, people no, the even paleo though it's supposed are- to be like a yeah. No, because you also have to be super rich to be paleo, so I'm automatically oh, like too. probably going to hate you if you can afford not to ever eat anything that's a starch or a grain. That's I mean, well, yeah, if you're going to be a pain in the ass with your diet and do nothing to improve, the, I mean, at least with vegetarian or vegan, it's like there's an environmental impact yeah, that you're, you are mm-hmm. improving that. Yeah, just by not eating cows, you're like saving water and yeah. things like that. Yeah, so you're like spending a ton of money and only eating cows. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, well, let's put it out there. Fuck you. Okay. <laughs> we're all agreed. Well, um, we can get started on the questions. Say, no, we're not going to talk about that we're not introducing. Um, what, hey, we, what? Nothing. Never mind. I'll no, I, th- I know it. I just thought oh, it might be good. Always, uh, <laughs> I, I don't like Jared. If it, if you can't tell. Uh, how long have you been doing comedy, Jeff? About, I think nine years. Nine if you, years. I'll round up to nine years. Uh, I started doing storytelling like just at the Moth in New York in 2008. And at that time, if you had asked me if I did comedy, I would have said no because at that time you were kind of distinguishing yourself from stand-up stand-up felt if you started out doing storytelling stand-ups felt very needy and didn't know how to just tell a story and let themselves be emotionally present but the fact of it is i liked making people laugh the best and started getting on stage doing that in 2008 and then gradually transitioned into doing more and more stand-up shows like kind of every year a little bit more a little bit more a little more that's pretty interesting just because that's a Something from the perspective of a storyteller kind of not wanting to be associated as a stand-up because you hear uh-huh. the opposite yeah. shit all the time. Unjustifiable, but, yeah. you know, comics who are, like, purists and, like, oh, storytellers, that's one thing, and improv people, that's another. Mm. So that's interesting. So there's all, uh, for storytellers, there's almost like a pejorative attached early on. Well... At that time, there was. This yeah. was before the Moth podcast came out, before right. Girls, and they were only having slams in New York and L.A. and only those twice a month. And 
you would see stand-ups come do moth slams or and then storytelling shows and you could see them get real stressed out and uncomfortable when they didn't get a laugh yeah. rather than just like know what you're talking about and be okay with it and move through it. That's and you'd be like, huh? Huh? How you guys doing tonight? And like come <laughs> on. Yeah. yeah. Ah, went. Try the coffee or like whatever. And it would seem it would just seem the hackiest of hacky. And I've seen very good stand ups bomb horribly at storytelling shows because they didn't like dial the pressure suit accordingly you yeah. know that's interesting but what is bombing like in that respect like if since well, you're not going nobody, for laughs constantly what's up when, when you when you go for the laps constantly anyway and nobody <laughs> gives them to you yeah. I mean, and you then you start tell. getting all weird yeah. and and uh <laughs> like that uh, <laughs> but you know we can I'm sure that you have heard comics talk about how they're like not storytellers or whatever I could sit here and and play this tiny harp all day because I get I feel that I get I have gotten pigeonholed a bit sometimes because they're like oh you tell stories well this is a comedy show that this so you should like sit over here in this little chair hmm. and and I'm like every I don't know it's like playing fucking Dungeons and Dragons where like every character has different set of like strengths and yeah. weaknesses right barbarian's tough but dumb or, or the you know the wizard is weak but brilliant I mean that's not stereotype pardon that's not stereotype <laughs> yeah, yeah but uh we have some barbarian listeners it's we get letters no <laughs> they can't write uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a piece of paper with blood mm -hmm. on yeah the print yeah they just yeah, take a they those. just take a steak and rub it on a paper <laughs> and send it in now but i mean to me the best comedy is the kind that builds a story out of jokes so that the either the premise or the punchline establishes character motivation raises the stakes moves you forward and um i mean there's two the two schools are kind of like i would say the kind of like hannibal burris slash miss he mitch hedberg school or it's rodney dangerfield jokes jokes you have no idea who that person is when they leave the stage but you had an awesome time yeah and i just happen to enjoy doing the kind of the Patton oswalt um paul f tompkins style yeah, where, yeah, yeah. You, you know and gary goleman is a real wizard i teach i teach storytelling and stand up at at home and yeah, i want uh, to ask you about that bit before it yeah. gary goleman is a real wizard at making jokes kind of stack up into an arc gary goleman and sean Patton and mike Birbiglia can oh, sean Patton's so good. you know every every joke rose the story forward you know if you imagine a bike a viking ship you know what i mean like everything they're playing is hitting that drum to make the rowers row and it reveals information that you need to understand and then uh pat oswald and gary goleman are really good at this too there's like so if you imagine the story arc is like one track there's another track next to what i call the commentary track where they stand there and if there's not enough joke because like there's just exposition they can stand there and point at something in the exposition and be like that is really fucking stupid because yeah. and make a joke about it that you enjoy so it keeps the laugh count up right but the story is still so happening you have the major sort of like progress of mm -hmm. like the story of the point and then these little meta asides about what was just said yeah. like along the way that's yeah. interesting because I feel like when Vanessa Gonzalez who was on our podcast a couple weeks ago was talking about that and she also comes from storytelling so she said that when she tries to write it out she has one column that is the story like kind of the major plot points of the story mm. and then on the right hand she'll try to like put punchlines that she finds or things mm. like you say the commentary track yeah and so 
where was I going to go? So storytellers, look, storytellers that are not and like shit on standups. I kind of feel like a lot, a lot of people when they don't have their own identity, they try to establish it by being anti something else. Mm. And if you like shove hard enough against something, but the laws of personality physics dictate that you will shove your way into an identity, yeah. you know, which yeah. is like what I did with punk rock as a teenager, That's you know, so yeah. like. I don't really know who I am, but I can hate Dave Matthews and that'll help. But story, <laughs> storytellers that do that about stand-ups, I'm just like, well, maybe why don't you just learn how to entertain a fucking audience? That's, I think the, <laughs> the reverse is kind of true, too. Where yeah. They like uh, they just need an identity. Mm-hmm. That's a positive one. Mm-hmm. But they become purists about it and like, I am this and that's these are the, the parameters mm-hmm. of it. And so it becomes very important that like people sort of like, uh, what do you call it, in, adhere to the rules of that identity or something like that. Yeah. Like, and I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think... I get annoyed by comics that will not be emotionally present enough to tell an intelligent story. Yeah. And I get annoyed by storytellers that will not admit to themselves that they can't tell when they're boring an audience. <laughs> you know, because the sound of... indulgent Yeah, the, the, the sound of an engaged, rapt audience whose hearts are breaking and can't wait to hear what happens next is the same sound as an audience that is totally fucking bored. And that's mm-hmm. silence. Yeah. And so, like, if you're not good enough to know when you're getting one silence versus another, maybe just put in a couple jokes, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. just, or, but the joke also works functionally. Like, if you tell a hard thing, you can let the steam off. I had a woman in one of my classes who, and I, I am comfortable telling you this because she did this material publicly, but she is in her 60s. And when she lost her virginity in this 1973, she was raped to lose her virginity. And she has been sitting on that since 1973. And in my class, she was like, I want to tell a story and I want to be able to find the jokes in it. Hmm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I've been waiting go. for this day <laughs> like my it whole was, life. It was, it was intense, you know. Not because we just cracked. I don't know. If yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I was, it was a very intense session very you know every session was really intense but she was able to put it aside and be like okay this is my experience that i had and we can put that over here and then see it as material and you know chip away yeah and i remember one of the notes that i gave her being like all right when you describe the act itself like i find that audiences are actually tremendously empathetic and they want to like you they want you to do well sure i mean unless you've turned them you know yeah. but but but, but they that's are, the default yeah they are right there in that situation so the longer you explain that rape the longer they are feeling it so less is more give them a joke after to let them know that we're all okay yeah and we can move on and they're not going to stay back in that you've she's had 40 years to process it and they're just hearing about it for the first time Makes so yeah, yeah, a lot of sense. let's do some jokes not to like yeah that 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 but just like let them <laughs> let them go <laughs> i just you know? saw the wb frog yeah. doing rape counseling yeah yeah <laughs> so anyway, anyway uh yeah. it strikes me too that a mm-hmm. lot of these mm-hmm. distinctions are really more social distinctions anyway like mm-hmm. amongst different artist groups mm-hmm. because i was thinking uh, i had an ongoing argument with a friend of mine who will not be named uh mm-hmm. who about whether kevin smith's down uh, is doing comedy as a comic and I know people wouldn't think of him doing Mm -hmm. that but I if he does these storyteller hours these Q&A's we're just talking the whole time and I thought if I didn't know that guy was a director Mm -hmm. and this was a Netflix special 
I would have just thought that was comedy because he's clearly structuring things towards laughter and and novelty and stuff like that. Yeah. So, well, whenever I mean, I, look, I studied painting. I was a painter for yeah. years, and people love to ask, "Well, is it art or not?" And yeah. the answer is like the answer to all these questions is if you have to answer, if you have to ask, the answer is yes, and the question is, do you like that kind or not? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I don't love. I don't know. Like, I don't Thomas love, Kincaid. Yeah. I was going to say, who's the guy at the mall? And you said Thomas. Kincaid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't love Thomas Kincaid, but it's art. It's just art. I don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. anyway. All right. Well, let me put us back on a track a little bit. So sure. you've done, <laughs> you've been living in New York the whole time then, right? Yeah. Are you from New York? No, I grew up in Virginia. Oh, Virginia. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a natural escape yeah. route. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then did, so you started doing, I mean, yeah, the moth podcast was what? 2010 that it started happening. 2009. Nine. Or ten, I think yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, and so you started just because you knew people who were doing it, or you heard of it. Yeah, I mean, they, so they have, and I don't know, I don't know what they what their presence is in Austin, but well, they, people know about it. And uh, they think they but come do, here. do they have regular story competitions here? I don't really pay attention to it. We have a lot of yeah. storytellers, and yeah. I do think that they come. Michelle Mursky, for does she do the moth? Oh, oh, not the, necessarily uh, the moth, but regular anyway. storytellers. Okay, well, anyway, yeah. so the way that I started just ever getting on stage was going to these moth events where if the doors were at seven thirty, and if you weren't in line by six, five forty-five, you were not going to sit down. Mm-hmm. And so the lines around the block and you just hang out. They put 10 names in a bucket. Mm-hmm. It's the world's most glamorous open mic. Yeah. And so, and you get five minutes to tell a story on a theme and then people judge it. They hold up like 9.2 or 7.1 <laughs> so and you can like win. Yeah. But I mean, there it's it is weird yeah. but i feel that when comics shit on storytellers they should really know that like hey we don't you don't have an olympic dive team yeah. that yeah. you're performing for okay it would be so, interesting to see if it would help us you know yeah well i mean but but laughs are yeah. a form of immediate feedback totally. as well yeah you know that makes sense but but at least you have a sense of like okay there's somebody that needs to be impressed here and there mm-hmm. is a cruel but detectable <laughs> it's, metric yeah. you know it's, it's more like better or worse it storytelling has a thing that comics often brag only they have which right. is the immediate feedback right you know most other even like acting you get up there and the the you don't necessarily yeah. know that the crowd liked it until maybe a review or something like that yeah so i started doing that and yeah. then and then the podcast came out and then i started doing that in 08 the podcast came out in 20 2009 or 10 and then I just started realizing I liked entertaining audiences more and being funny. And then I ho- I hosted a show for an incredibly famous comic whose name I will tell you when the microphones are off. <laughs> and he was not yet famous. And mm-hmm. I bombed so bad. I had been on This American Life the month prior. And he was like, <laughs> we need a host. Wow. And I was like, yeah, if you're asking on Facebook, I'll host. Sure. <laughs> I mean, Ira Glass has blessed my witty little... F- you know insights surely <laughs> an audience full of tourists at Caroline's on Broadway will agree what could possibly go wrong and you hadn't you had done some stand up at this point no or none? This no I just first... thought it was all because uh, like you know I just thought if people are laughing and you're talking then it's comedy yeah sort of and um, I still I, think that's basically true <laughs> but you know, hosting a show is different anyway yeah and nobody told me how a club works yeah and that what the different lights meant different things I sweat all the way through an entire three-piece suit, like undershirt, <laughs> shirt, vest. My tie was wet. And people on dates didn't get laid because of me. Yeah. I watched I watched a woman look at a man and be like, no. Nope. Because of him? No. 
You see and what you did? <laughs> I think a normal person would have gone home and been like, all right, this is not for I'm going to stay in my little box over here. But uh, it just made me want to be like, I want to, I don't like feeling like a big fish in a little pond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I just want to keep growing. So I just got on the horse. And I mean, that's my origin story, you know? Yeah. That's the, and so the, this was how long after you'd, you'd been doing uh, storytelling for how long? year year or two okay so then you start doing stand-up a little bit and more and more yeah yeah i found that there was a guy my buddy lucas kaiser ran a mic where you got 10 minutes and it was four days a week nice and there was a the mic was in this um loft apartment that was illegally a hostel that was then sub illegally a venue and you'd be doing your time and then just some French lady would push a baby across the stage because she was staying there. <laughs> Bonjour. And then you just like, <laughs> but it was 10 minutes, 10 four minutes, days a week. Night. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, what, <laughs> there, was, there was this thing, there's a French hair salon upstairs and they hated the British people that owned the, the, the hostel slash venue. They would always call the cops whenever they had shows. <laughs> But it was owned by the building, was owned by the Chinese mafia, and so my buddy just got a bunch of cash together and just bribed them every year. They were just he would just hand him an envelope full of cash and be like, "Yeah, this checks out. All right, we'll never answer these French people's phone calls again." (laughs) (laughs) And that's just New York for you. And comedy was able to thrive because of it. That's awesome. And so um, that was the first mic that you started doing. Mm -hmm. And did you start? How quickly did you start doing other mics? Uh, I think. You know, within a year or two, um, I just, it was, it was a slow growth, you know, every, I did that for a while. And then once that stopped satisfying me, I mean, it's just like, like the werewolf that needs a new flavor of blood, you know? And, and then I finally got to where I was doing the mics that are like the, the Creek in the cave in in Queens Mm -hmm. has mics that are like, you get two, two and a half minutes and they're every day or they have three a day. And I just started doing those. And started kind of breaking stories down into like, okay, how can I take this little piece of it that is as entertaining as possible in two minutes yeah, and then take those bits and start kind of Legoing them into stories. And you haven't had any problems with that method. I've, oh yeah. I've had tons of problems. Okay. With that well, can you speak to that a bit? Uh, uh, can you speak? Because I have a friend who's a, a storytelling comic and uh-huh. feels like he has a hard time developing material. This is Enzo, by the way, it's mm-hmm. not like a secret or whatever. Uh, and I kind of suggested that, mm-hmm. but he didn't know how it would really work. So, well, nobody so, does. You just yeah. do it. You know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, what is comedy except for taking a square yeah, yeah, peg yeah. and hammering it into a round hole until it just gets in there? Sure. Yeah. You yeah. Know? That makes so sense. Just, just, so, just so go. In terms yeah. of like that, how do you break those stuff up? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like trying it. There's not like a, because I think I, I, the way, like, he's going to help, I'm sure he'll listen to this, mm-hmm. like, the idea was he's worried how do you do the middle of the thing without the context in the beginning or, you know, how do you just stop or something like that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's some of that, sure, but, like, you can also just do your jokes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, kind of, like take from it the jokes that are the jokes and sure. then sit down and kind of brainstorm, okay, well, what do we know as a result of having heard this joke? What can we deduce? So, mm-hmm. like, at the show, I don't know if you heard my set at uh, mm-hmm. Sure Thing the other night. I told a story about my ex-wife and I, uh, at my fiance at the time, looking for apartments in Brooklyn. And, you know, I, she lived in Jersey City and was like, I want to have... I want to live in Jersey City. It's way cheaper. You get more space for the money. And as a, and you can have central AC and a dishwasher, which is unheard of in New York. And you can also save $10,000 a year in city and local taxes. And I said, well, that's super, but I didn't spend all that time 
in my bedroom as a teenager in Virginia sniffling and listening to Bauhaus and being like, one day I'm going to live in a city next to the city of my dreams <laughs> for tax reasons. And that's a laugh. But now we know, okay, there's an essential tension. There's a, you have a goal. We have to go achieve this thing, you know, and people have laughed at that. Yeah. But I have said, all right, this is where I am. I've like established stake in the ground. There's an essential conflict that is either going to resolve or detonate. So he could do just that joke. Okay. That's interesting. And okay. then move on to the next joke. And then, I don't know, just kind of mix and match it. Yeah, I was going to say, every time yeah. I've, I ran into that problem, uh, I always... It was just like, how could I ever do this? And then if you do sit down, it's always like, well, no, I could isolate this out. And maybe I need to, um, yeah, have have a new joke that builds yeah. up to it or whatever, find some context for it. But it also strengthens you when you're forced to figure out how to do something in three minutes as opposed to like, you know, neat feeling like, oh, but this is a four and a half minute bit. Like, mm. well, figure yeah, it yeah, out. Yeah. 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 You can also retrofit it. Like, if yeah. you, you, like, the fundamental story structure is kind of five things, right? You have a need that you go to achieve. You achieve it, and you usually can't handle the results, or it's not what you wanted, or whatever, and you return a changed person, right? You need, go, get, return. So take a bit that you like and write it down and then kind of look at it next to that structure. Is that, a, are you establishing a need? Are you establishing your identity? Are you establishing, you know, which of those, where does that fit? And then you oh, can build backwards or build forwards and start to fill, you know, put your jokes on like index cards and slide them around on the table in that story structure. Like when I teach this, we have you need go get return on a big piece of poster board. We put the jokes on post-it notes and we just move them around and it's like, well, if you put them in this order, then we know this about you, or we know that you tried this and it didn't work, so maybe that's the get. See what I'm saying? No, definitely. Yeah, and if your buddy, so I would tell, I don't, you're probably listening to this dude, just fucking do it, all right? Like, you <laughs> figure it out. If you want to figure it out, you will figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, we should probably put a pin in this thing. Yeah, I think yeah. Eros get some more, yeah, like, sure. sort of, uh, oh, okay. yeah. I, I definitely want to ask about classes and stuff. Yeah. Like uh, so how long before you start getting booked on shows? And considering yourself a stand-up as opposed to only a storyteller? Uh, I don't know. A couple months. You know, this guy, I, uh, most of what I have as a stand-up in New York comes out of this guy, Lucas Kaiser, and his mics. Because he really encourages anybody, anybody that's making an effort and just gives them as many opportunities. And he is like the most prolific, least famous comedy show producer in New York City. And he's, he's always got like five shows going and he's always looking to book people and he likes giving people a chance. So he was just like, eh, seem to do okay at the mic. Sure. Come to my under attended bar show and, <laughs> you know, and just throw you up there. So it might've been a couple months once you establish that you're not crazy and you can be funny, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so uh, do you have a day job now or then now? Uh, not now. No. And so are you, you're making all your money with either comedy or comedy adjacent things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, teaching classes, um, and then mostly teaching classes, and then hoping for some revenue from this record, which you know, fingers crossed. And <laughs> then um, I also freelance. I do freelance copywriting and mm -hmm. stuff like that, yeah. and then story coaching too. So and so, how long have you not had a day job? Well, I left my day job in 2013. Uh, I was the director of digital communications for Time Warner Cable. Mm -hmm. Ooh, well. I mean, I was in, yeah, it sounds fancy. And it was like, yeah, I wore a suit every day and got paid, you know, grown up money and stuff like that. But it was like Mad Men without the booze or harassment, you know, and like <laughs> just, just kind of 
super corporate. And also I had to represent Time Warner Cable online. Like I started yeah. their whole Twitter presence. Interesting. And imagine how much, okay, you know how hateful everybody on Twitter is. And you know how much everybody hates Time Warner Cable. Major, <laughs> major exponent into my eye holes all day, every day. Yeah. And it just burned me out like, super deep and hard. Because everybody they worked with was actually really nice and really forgiving. And um, they let me do my variety show at South by Southwest. They would pay for me to go to South by and pay for a hotel to be the like Time Warner Cable like tech guy at, at the conference. And then I had a friend who runs Interactive that would put my variety show on the bill and my boss was just like, yeah, as long as you're doing like work stuff by day, do it at night because it makes us be cooler. And mm. you wouldn't expect that from like that big a corporation. Nevertheless, it was not enough. And I still They were like aware of their yeah. ogreish uh, sort of uh, yeah. what do you call it, appearance or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and they were just like, yeah, just do it. You know, you out there being a regular guy works for us. You know? So when you quit, was it um, more because you just couldn't take it anymore? And or had you gotten to a place financially with teaching classes and stuff? And being able to freelance where you just were like, you know what, I don't need this? No, I um, had been really burned out for a really good long while and stuck it out and stuck it out and like found a bunch of different ways to try to approach it a new way. And, and then also the, um, the job itself changed a whole lot because I was hired to start their digital presence. Twitter came out after I got hired. Mm -hmm. I was hired to start their blog and Twitter and Facebook stuff, and I did. But it was kind of like being paid to like design a 21st century lighthouse, and then it's built and it works, and they're like, well, now you can have a job shining the light out of the ocean, <laughs> yeah. you know? So it was just <laughs> very different. Yeah. And um, I had saved up uh, you know, money, and, and then when I went to leave the company, they said, hey, shh, keep it quiet. We got layoffs coming. We'll just put you on a list. And like, not to sh make myself into Schindler's List here, but I was like, well, if I don't want to be here and there's like two secretaries that do, then why, yeah. don't, why don't I go and they can, you know? Not and sure. so, so I had that, you know, as a cushion and I periodically kind of pulled the floorboards up out of my living room and burn them for firewood gotcha, <laughs> so, gotcha. Yeah. um all right interesting. It's not the most forward thinking financial strategy but i'm infinitely we, happier when doing stand-up yeah. comedy usually mm -hmm. doesn't involve a huge amount of yeah. forward thinking financially uh so uh you, how often do you tour are, are you here in austin specifically for comedy yes okay and so is this and it's part of a, a tour that yep. you're doing right mm -hmm. are you driving uh yeah sort of i so i went to boston a couple of weeks ago and that was like bus to boston from new york did a bunch of shows yep. yep and then um came back to new york licked my wounds and then flew to <laughs> new orleans and you know it was in new orleans for like four days and then went to lafayette and then in in lafayette i did two nights in lafayette and then i rented a car and drove to lake charles mm -hmm. and then from lake charles drove all the way here I drove all the way from Lake Charles the day that I met you at a sure thing yes. and then That's had right. two shows that night. And I don't even, I remember doing the shows the way that 
a pilot might remember <laughs> like landing an airplane in the fog. It was on the instruments because it was just so, so fried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and but now, so I'm driving around Austin and like mini driving. I don't own a car or have health insurance or car insurance or anything. And you're flying back from yeah. Austin. Too. Yeah, yeah. So um, in terms of how much money you've spent versus made at these various shows, where do you think you are with? Oh, far behind. Far behind. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not yeah. Even. Do you have you tried selling any kind of merch or? Yeah. Oh, what do you got? My album. Oh, just the album. Yeah. yeah. Just have download cards. Sell for mm-hmm. five bucks. Yeah. Yeah. How's that going? And you recorded the album in DC, right? Yeah, the Black Hat. How did you decide on that? Well, that's just the venue and the place where, in the city, where I've always had the best audience, the best response. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the Black Hat in DC is like the has been for my entire lifetime like the coolest rock club. And it's where I used to sneak out to see shows when I was in high school and hmm. road trips in college. And then so it's I, personal. Yeah, it's personal. And it's where I hung out all the time when I lived in D.C. And I would say about every six to eight months since I moved to New York, I've come and done a show at the Black Cat and always gotten a great audience. My, I don't know if you guys know who Anthony DeVito is or not, but mm-hmm. it's a New York comic who is right now just all of a sudden getting white hot heat that he's deserved for 10 years but he like within a month recorded the half hour got on colbert got got passed at the comedy cellar and he's a super good guy and deserves more than that and he and i co-headlined the black cat last year and got like 300 people and we're just some dudes that nobody has heard of so dc has a there's too much to do in new york and so nobody comes to stuff because yeah. everybody could go see Amy Schumer any second. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like texting each other during your set to be like, you want to leave? You know? And, like, <laughs> and, but in DC there's less to do, but there's still educated, culturally mm-hmm. curious people with disposable income who like want to go out on dates and yeah. come sure. see you. So they're on board. And also NPR is like literally based in DC and all my credits are in NPR. So good point. Yeah. Uh, so the first time that you did the Black Cat, you said you go there fairly often. Mm-hmm. How did you get that show booked? Uh, well, I have a variety show called also, same title as my album, and I am not lying. And it's um, burlesque storytelling, stand-up sideshow mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so I just pitched them, and the Booker was a really cool lady, and she was into it. And then I so I, I booked that and this is so they have two rooms. It's like a big room that like I think for show for rock shows sells out at eight twelve hundred if it's standing room only, but then maybe five fifty if it's a seated comedy show. Yeah. And they got a small room that tops out at one fifty for a seated and it's mixed standard seated for a comedy show. It's a big fucking place. Yeah, it's huge. Cool. And so I um I, you know, I, I booked that room and it did well and then we moved it up to the big room and it worked okay in the big room a few few times and then now it's just kind of like, I'm kind of like, now that I know kind of a little bit more about the the physics of how laughter behaves in a big space, I would rather have a room too small and mm-hmm. do two oh, shows. Yeah. So for my album, sense. I just booked the, the small room and did a seven and nine o'clock and I got about 45, 50 people each show, which is enough to yeah. do a record and yeah. And well, well, just before you move yeah. off the city thing, I'm just curious because I think a lot of our listeners would be curious. What's your impression of Austin comedy and the scene generally? Favorable, highly, <laughs> highly favorable. I mean, I've literally done two shows ah, okay. in Austin. Okay. What was the this, show that you did after Sure Thing? Uh, I did Megaphone at the New Movement. Oh, word. And um, 
I mean, I've done two shows in Austin that was were not South by Southwest shows, which is yeah. a whole different ballgame. Sure. And um, I mean, I, the the vibe that I get is just that there's just a vibrant creative scene here. It's every place is cheaper than New York, so <laughs> you know you can you can uh, stretch out, do more time, more shows, a little bit more relaxed. I mean, the thing that makes New York a really great place to get good at comedy is also the same stuff that makes you insane and burns you out and is really unhealthy, which is that you can do three spots a night if you want. Like when Mark Norman does my show at midnight, it's his fourth or fifth show he's done that day. Yeah, holy shit, yeah. Like since the sun went down. And so you can... But that's all cool for a guy like him, right? And I don't know where this starts, but yeah. that's all like quality time, right? For him, meh, yeah, but he's, you know what? He's, he is not too big to do your dumb show that nobody sure. comes to, you know? So he just says yes to everything as long as it fits on his schedule, I think. Yeah. And in New York, you can do that. And that's how I got where, you know, developed whatever skills is just doing every single show. And I, so I get the feeling that the population density here may not support that degree of grind. Yeah. But you right. also have a, you know, you have it's. There's enough people that want to see cool stuff that are going to come out that you can like do it. And, you'd be surprised that you can actually yeah. do comedy three to five times a week a night if you uh, uh-huh. on, on most nights. Yeah. When you uh, say three even to here, five, yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, great. But, but my uh, but, it's but, actually the reverse, uh, yeah. which is that uh, I get the sense that the uh, the open mic level or like just above the open mic level is pretty brutal in New York. And I was curious if you could speak to that because that seems to be the thing that prevents a lot of people here from moving to New York. Yeah, it is, but I don't know anything else. Sure. You know, I feel like fucking Bane, man. Like it's born <laughs> into the, the fu- yeah, born into darkness. Yeah. You know, knife fight every day of my life. So I don't, I don't even know what it's like <laughs> in a city you, that's more livable and pleasant. Do you get an impression though, from other comics that you're exposed to there that did come from other places or anything like that? I mean, I, I think I, I wish that I had gotten better at it in another city mm-hmm. and then moved there because I know I definitely got seen by bookers or people that went on people that have are now managers or agents or big time bookers I feel like they saw me right when I was trying to do storytelling as stand up in that year when I probably wasn't that good at it mm. and now they just have that impression picture or, yeah. you know but yeah. so I wish I had done something like lived somewhere else and like really developed and then come there but I mean, it's like, I don't know, it's really brutal, but it's just like, you just do it. I mean, you yeah. said comedy, like if you're, do, if you're doing comedy and you're avoiding brutality, you're not doing comedy. That makes sense. You know, you're just yeah. hanging out with your buddies on a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Know? But I yeah. think Jared is interested in that yeah. question of like, what's the better path? Is yeah, it to get good issue. first or is it to get there and, to, and start battling it out that way? I don't know. I mean, it's so personal. Right. Like, makes sense. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I mean, for you guys, get bored here and then move. Yeah, you I know. think that's what the most common thing is. Like, mm. if you feel like you've plateaued somewhere, then it's time to go. Yeah. Um, okay, what I did actually want to go back to the the uh, doing your your album. Uh-huh. So when you did that, do they record albums there sometimes, or is it something you set up completely? Uh, you know, I think they record stuff there sometimes. I mean, it's it's a I mean, it's a like I said, it's a venue with two rooms. That big, are- two rooms that is open like fifty work weeks a year. So. I'm sure they've done live recordings there. and So did you hire your own sound people? No, I got... This is produced by Comedy Dynamics. Oh, okay. So they handled the, um, you know, the editing, mixing, sound people, and all that stuff, and it just comes off of the back end. 
All right. So did you, but uh, is this something that you were paying for or did someone have like some kind of deal with you? Yeah. I mean, comedy dynamics was like, well, within reason we will, we're paying for it. Mm-hmm. And then the deal, the, you know, the deal that I signed was like recover costs and then a split after that, mm-hmm. you know? So, and they were, they were pretty straight up about it when I was like, getting the album deal I was like why is this why is this the easy part like, it was yeah. a short conversation and I was like why is this not hard when everything else has been and they said well you know all of this is built on a bedrock of we like your stuff yeah. and we have to like your stuff and I had a video on YouTube for, that had been the story had been on the Moths podcast and then had gotten a ton of view over 100,000 views from Reddit and they were like okay we like the story you sent we also see that it has enough view count that you can command an audience. And they said, you know, not trying to shit on it here or anything. Cause we don't put anybody out that we don't like, but it's never been cheaper or easier to put out a comedy record. So we're just, it's another line in the water yeah. for us. And as long as it's not, you know, crazy expensive because of weird legal stuff, or you like want to record an orchestra ahead of time <laughs> yeah, or some yeah. crazy thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's an easy. It's not much of a gamble for them. Right, right. They, and you know, eighty percent of the stuff I questions I asked, can we do this? They said yes, and the other twenty, the twenty percent that was no, was like for a super good reason. So, can you give some examples of things they said no to? Um, can I put it out on vinyl? And they said, well, we're not going to put it out on vinyl we're just not going to do that and um but did you uh, wind up putting it out because on yeah. your website it's yeah like- yeah well and, and so we talked about it you know and mm-hmm. and they are as accessible as you would expect a very busy comedy record label to be like never once have i called them and they just answered the phone and said hello oh hey jeff you know you always mm-hmm. have to schedule a call and it always has to last for exactly as long as you scheduled it but they're also putting out like bill burr and louis ck so yeah i would be the the Low distant end opposite end of that spectrum. <laughs> so I'm just glad they're scheduling the phone call, you know? And, <laughs> and, uh, so when they said, no, nah, we're not, and it, it just came down to like, at the level that they think it's worth putting out on vinyl, that's like a investment. It's just a way bigger investment than records I would sell. Yeah. So they said, tell you what though, if you want to put it out as just like merch to sell on the road, we don't really feel like you're, independent sales ability is going to cut into our revenue in any way. So just go ahead and like do it. Yeah. So I did a crowdfunding campaign hmm. to fund it and it got funded and now I'm going to press the vinyl and try to find a distributor and try and sell them on the road, which if it's anything like selling download cards on the road, it's going to be a complete loss. Yeah, but <laughs> I, but I it's nice to just like, have a record out. You yeah. know, and it exists. And I, and to be able to go, to, I guess, I kind of experience any town through its book and record stores. Mm-hmm. So to be able to go, you know, have a couple and go to like the cool record store in Lafayette and, you know, sell them three to sell there and go, you know, around the record stores here or whatever. It'd be fun. So, yeah, that seems pretty cool. And yeah. I think, I do think that people enjoy buying records more than even buying a download thing uh-huh. because they have this cool souvenir and mm-hmm. you know I don't know I've heard more comedians lately saying that they like to buy vinyls mm-hmm. probably yeah. to other comics because yeah. they sell them but yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask about how you think that because you not only won the Moth several times the Moth Slam several times but you won the Grand Slam uh-huh. um, has that helped um, in terms of getting a draw when you travel or getting booked and cooler shows uh, I guess so 
I guess I don't know because it's been such a gradual thing. I can't really compare it to any. I can't like mm-hmm. put a pin in a timeline and compare A to B very well. I would say that in some ways as the moth's cultural stock has risen, the, in some ways the value of those credits has risen, but in other ways it has decreased because the fact is somebody wins a moth slam once a week in New York City alone yeah. now. Yeah. And now they're like the Starbucks of storytelling. So like somebody's winning a moth slam once a week in like every. That's like, it's like golden gloves and boxing, which doesn't yeah. mean nothing, but it definitely, it's just, if you say I'm a golden gloves boxer, uh-huh. that doesn't mean, oh, he won the big thing. Right. It just means he won a thing. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, I mean, to people that care about a Grand Slam, then great. But <laughs> but winning a Grand, you can win a Moth Grand Slam and not at all be able to deliver a good audience experience at like a sure thing. Yeah, you know. But the guys at a sure thing saw that I had mm-hmm. those. I, you know, I, when I email them, I say like this. You know, multiple Slam champion, Grand Slam champion on the podcast. Also, here's. You know, promoting an album, and they just kind of say yes. So yeah. I don't know which thing they. Yeah, but having all of those credits yeah. certainly it's, helps you get booked yeah. on a lot of things. It's so. sad to me that what you what does create a draw mm-hmm. though mm-hmm. is things like oh, you were on the second season of The Bachelor or some shit like that. Yeah, that would Ye- help. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. like I mean, it's well, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's the thing is like yeah, I've got the like tattooed NPR and audience nailed down, but it's not. Like a lot. Like I like to say, nobody in Indiana is getting a babysitter because I've got some stunning revelations <laughs> in my third act. You know, <laughs> so like that's and that's one of the reasons I started getting into comedy too. Is I'd be like at work and they'd be like, "So what's that thing you did? Like, why does your suit smell bad right now?" And I'd be like, "Well, you know, it's just well, it's a storytelling thing." Like, oh yeah, it's like comedy. You do you like Louis C.K.? And I was like, "No, not not not, not at all. But <laughs> it's more like you know, you establish a compelling narrative." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, you're comedy." And Sometimes I was like, right. they cry too. <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing comedy. Like, oh, let's call it comedy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, uh, all right. So, do you have uh, any concrete comedy goals? Uh, yeah, I would like to get on late night. I would like late to night? be. A, a person, one of not many people, who tells a story with a beginning, middle, and end on late night TV. Nice. That's interesting. Too. That's and Jay Larson's already done it. Jay yeah. Larson's did a set on Conan about getting a prank call. It I is. Love, it, I love that. You know, he's driving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and it is a beast of a set. It's hilarious. And it's a story. Like yeah. he has, and we teach it in my class where I'm just like, look, you can be funny and tell a story. He establishes who he is, what he wants. You know, the stakes escalate. Oh, yeah. It works. And, and it's so punchy, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I don't think that he sacrificed anything by doing that, mm-hmm. but there's very little downtime in the story that ever, I mean, just in terms of what's the, the expression, laughs per minute, yeah. sort yeah. of thing like that. I don't think it would be less than like a John Mendoza, the listeners and all that, you mm-hmm. know. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so, are, are there, or do you have a story in mind that you think? could be that story I got a couple yeah I mean the one that I did at the show the other night I would like to try I had I dumped like a good third of it when I saw the second light mm-hmm. so I felt like there's a lot of funny stuff I'm, I was I left that set my girlfriend was like that was great I was like no it sucked and you don't even know why you know yeah, <laughs> which <right>. is like <laughs> yeah. a million reasons yeah and, at all times yeah and so that's fine I'd like to do that that one or I got a story about um I used to have a band with some chickens that played toy pianos, and I would like to get a version of that on television. <laughs> um, you know that the I think that those I'd like to try those. You know, I'd pitch those. I have a um, 
a guy who's a really good friend of mine who was a former student got onto this is not happening with a story we worked on in class and I would love to achieve this is not happening I mean like I want to get on any form of TV and I'll be happy yeah. but I would love to get on this is not happening I would really love to do you know Conan or Colbert or something where it's not just comedy nerds that are loving it it's like just an audience mm-hmm. I would just really 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 want to do that yeah and then that's like the the next like stretch goal and I think a near term goal would be finding a distributor for my vinyl record so that they're going to put it out to record stores and then be able to sell establish some kind of beachhead on the the vinyl front yeah Yeah. no that's great so are there concrete steps to take to get on tv i mean do you know what to do next yes and no Mm -hmm. um i think you have to just have a set i mean and it's kind of like one of those things where Sometimes I feel like E.T. at the end of the movie where I'm like, is there a ship coming or am I just fucked up in the bushes with, <laughs> with a speaking spell right now <laughs> trying to talk about phone home, you know? So you like, Full disclosure, I've never seen E.T. So. Okay. Um. I, I would like to watch that with you. Yeah. Just to watch you watch it for the first time. Because I've heard it's still a great movie. But yeah. I just haven't seen it since I was, you know, 10. But... You know, so I, I feel like like having a set that's ready, having a you know having that really tight, and like I have some friends in New York. My friend Joe Zimmerman has done late night multiple times, and um, you know half hour and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, the thing is, is it seems really far away, and it is, but it can be right in your face so fast. It's like this, you know, when you're driving in the country late at night, and you're like, you see some headlights, and you're like, whoa, and then all of a sudden. Yeah. By. it's it's kind of like that so i think there's a it's kind of preparation meeting opportunity okay. yeah and like there are like i'm colleagues with or friendly with or friends with people in new york that are starting to show up on and it seems like i'm setting my dvr once a week now mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. somebody that i used to do mics with so does comedy work in a like it's your turn way absolutely not and that's where we're also bitter but also oh, it might be your turn so be ready yeah. you know oh, so Um, And so then with the class, Uh how long have you been teaching a semi-private storytelling class? Comedic Uh, storytelling Started in, yeah, I think the winter of early, like early 2015. Mm -hmm. And then, and that was at a, there's a comedy venue and theater in Astoria called QED Mm -hmm. that... You know, if you guys are in New York, you should absolutely try to do some shows at QED. It's called mm-hmm. QED? Yeah. And That's good. Um, it's like the very last stop on the train into Astoria, but but tons of stand-ups live within like blast radius from <laughs> that subway stop and QED. Semi-affordable. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a coffee shop right by QED that I like to go to. It's an hour each way on the subway from my house but when I have work to do I just want to like get out of the house so I can't go home yeah. and dick around with my plants or whatever and um, with your plants yeah it ends up being uh, you know enough of a networking hang like oh hey here's that that other guy who's working on these jokes mm-hmm. and we can kind of shoot it a little but um, so I was teaching at QED for a while and then I started teaching out of my apartment and um, yeah it's th- that was in late 
2015 I started teaching out of my apartment early 2016 and this is like a six is it a six-week class yeah six That's weeks three hours a class 250 bucks and how many students would you and how many times a year do you teach the class I don't have like a set mm-hmm. it's not set in stone it's more like when am I when do I think I'm gonna be in town for yeah. six weeks in a row um, and then like since it's in my house it's got to be worked around like I don't know I mean my girlfriend just moved in and we had bed bugs so yeah you gotta, <laughs> gotta work around like, the bed bugs yeah because they're not bringing anybody in until we kill those and then she gets moved in and it takes forever to get settled Wait, and did now did she bring the bed bugs in no she oh. found them oh boy and and I mean credit to Erica because she looked in an apartment found bed bugs and still scheduled movers to move into the apartment yeah you, you know? know what she loves you yeah yeah <laughs> so um uh, she loves wow. you too. She really liked your set the other night. She's, oh, you tell her thank that. You. But um, is she a comic? No. Okay. Well, no, huge that. comic adjacent, huge fan. Uh-huh. Like used to go. Eugene Merman had the show called Invite Them Up every yeah. week when like Tignataro like and Mike Birbiglia and all that stuff was happening, and she and her buddies would go like every single week. And I think she's the only person on OK Cupid who like saw my profile and was like, "Oh yeah, he's a, a comedian." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny. Y'all met so y'all met it on OK Cupid and not at a show. Right, right. And then there was a like a an adjustment period because she came to shows thinking she was at a show like as an audience, so she would have like you know four or five drinks, get mm-hmm. good and good and loose. And she's very adorable and affectionate when she gets loaded. So she would always want to be cuddling, and finally I had to be like we're I'm at work yeah I'm just not getting paid for it but we gotta you know what I mean if you're gonna come to like three shows a week we have to establish that this is a little different and 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 then it's a learning curve for everybody so she's super supportive of what I'm doing she took vacation time to come down and be on this tour with me that's great but um and she but now I gotta be like all right do you think are you cool with just like not being in the house Right. Every Sunday afternoon for six weeks. And, you know, so, yeah. it's so you wind to, up doing it maybe three or four times a year type thing. Sounds about right. Yeah. Really, it's, I realized as long as I can have at least four mm-hmm. people, and it's weird if there's more than seven or eight people, mm-hmm. then great. You know, that it works. Yeah. It's worth your time. And how do you know, like, where all your, the students who sign up, uh, where they're learning about your class? A lot of word of mouth mm-hmm. and a lot of there's a really really useful Facebook group NYC storytelling mm-hmm. and that kind of everybody in New York that tells stories on any level has joined mm-hmm. and it's really pretty well not curated what's the word moderated Mod- yeah. yeah so that it's like minimum spam mm-hmm. and you can't just post a flyer for your show and be like, well, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to tell a story. And like, it's got to yeah. be down right. the middle. And so I'll post it there. People will pass it around. And I get a lot of good word of mouth, I think, from my former students. And you better believe I blow up the fact that one of them was on this <laughs> happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then it's time. Like last year, I ended up having three students in July. And one of them I had to suggest that the class was not for her so it was just like me and these two other women in my apartment once a week it was like a, a little meeting that yeah. got very intense <laughs> but well wait but why was, did you suggest it wasn't for her well she just had you know i think these people exist everywhere but they really love to move to new york 
these people who are like, oh my God, I'm just so busy. I'm just doing so many things all the time. You know, I'm in a book club and I have a very demanding job. And for some reason I've taken another very demanding job. And then and a storytelling class. And then a storytelling class. So they just kind of say yes to everything with no regard for like, what does that demand on their time? Mm-hmm. So the first class she showed up like an hour late and it was like, she was like, well, my husband and I were coming down from upstate and we got stuck in traffic. And like, all right. It happens. It happens. The second time she was half an hour late and she like had to miss the third one. And finally I just was like, look, at this point, if you come to every single, if you are even five minutes late to the next class, you will have missed over 50% of class time. And at this point I'm having to rewind to explain to you stuff. Like to get the kind of the way I like to teach it is like, People think, like we were talking about at the top of the show, they're stand-up and they're storytelling. Well, in mm-hmm. fact, it can be a Venn diagram if you right. if you turn it the right way. Yeah, absolutely. So we have to establish a working vocabulary and the principles where there's overlap. And you kind of, the first one or two classes tend to be a lot more me talking. And then we get more and more into the telling and critiquing once we've established the language that we're going to use to work with. Well, I keep having to fucking rewind it and tell her all the definitions. And I was like... Not yeah. You're welcome back, and I'll give you a discount, but you can't be here, and I'm keeping your money. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, those are the questions that I really wanted to know. Do you have any um, of your comedy nerd questions, Jared? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. Okay. I have. So comedy class. I actually think this is a rare opportunity mm. for the podcast because yeah. I feel like most of the comics come on the show are established at whatever level, but they're uh. really not used to the idea let me cut this up into principles uh-huh. and let me see what i can impart to other people uh-huh. so uh, the first thing i wanted to ask you was about the comedy classes about uh-huh. uh there you know there's kind of in some comedy circles a kind of pejorative oh sure aspect and i'm curious uh do you think any of that's true yeah. uh is it like what's the difference i'll ask it this way between a good comedy class uh, a bad one and do you generally recommend them you know okay it's going to be hard for me to a- answer every bullet point in your question the way you asked it. Sure. But I will launch into it a self-indulgent monologue. Please and you do. Just yeah, let yeah. me know when. I, pref- <laughs> when I actually prefer. Time, I when prefer that when it's time to steer back <laughs> yeah. onto the road here. I never took a class. Okay, I never took a class in storytelling or in stand-up. You just go out there and bomb until you get good, yeah. and that's what I would tell anybody. And I'll tell anybody when advertising my class, and like I mean, like uh, you know. Think of, like Bill Burr likes to on his podcast about once a week. If it comes out twice a week, at least once a week, he says you don't need to take any fucking classes. Yeah, he's right too. But I would say that for something where there is a form or a format or a style that is learnable and transmitted, mm-hmm. it's probably going to help you to take a class. Like sure. like if I have never written a sketch, right? Well which is better like sitting down and just writing sketches and doing like a Shakespeare monkey thing or having (laughs) somebody that's like, no, these are the principles of sketch writing. They can be communicated to you. Here's how you format a page. Here's how you format a script, you know? So like with storytelling, it's just like, I'm going to teach you what I think this formula that I totally made up by the way, as as a result of having read and paid attention and done it for 10 years. And I feel that my like, little resume of achievements like if that impresses you then and you want to hear how i did it how i think i did it 
retroactively, then take the class. But if you're not impressed, great, fine. I don't yeah. fucking care. Like, you'll probably even be better <laughs> at me than comedy anyway, so just don't shit on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, I, don't shit on my hustle, man. The, like, the way you phrase it, A bunch actually. of fucking dog walkers out there being like, don't take a class. Like, yeah, well, I'm not carrying a bag of dog shit around either, so I can't <laughs> think I'm doing something right. Well, I think, I think <laughs> so, the productive way of talking about that, too, is that you said, yeah, you don't necessarily need one, uh-huh. but that's not the only two options there. Either right. you need it or don't do it. Like, mm-hmm. maybe it's the thing that you could figure out, but if you talk to somebody that's good at it, mm-hmm. it might save you yeah. a year, uh, you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. so, like, Dan Harmon wrote this webpage for Channel 101 about how to write five-minute video pilots. Yeah. And this is required reading in my class well guess what you don't have to pay me in order to get a link to the class google's right out there for everybody it's free but we're gonna but the way that i would use that as a jumping off point to break something down into a principle that's the that's what makes me me and the fact is man with the with moth slams being every week and people having winning a slam every week and then a grand slam every week there's never been more people out there that are teaching storytelling classes and based on fucking what you know like so presumably Somebody has seen me perform and liked it or now heard my record and liked it or likes those things. And they were like, yeah, I want to sit in this guy's apartment and listen to him talk for six weeks, you know, and 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 I can do a lot of critiquing, too, that I think is going to be helpful. And that's like, I mean, I would pay money for somebody to just listen to my set. Somebody who I would pay money for Gary Goleman to talk to me for three hours about my set. Yeah. So you you at least get that. And I I think something that's happened recently that kind of legitimizes classes a lot Uh are the master classes thing that happened. Uh Because for a long time, the reputation was, oh, it's people are just capitalizing on people that don't know what they're doing, Mm. or they need the money and it's a Mm. revenue stream. Mm. Well, very clearly, Steve Martin doesn't need the money. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? He's doing that because he believes there's something teachable about comedy. Dan Mm. Harmon doing it because he thinks there's something teachable mm-hmm. about writing funny uh, screenplays mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. so I wanted it, I, I understand you can't do like a version of your class for us real quick I don't mind sure but yeah. but so I'm just curious about principles like uh-huh. let's say you had a person that did your um, class but they didn't have the style that you do mm-hmm. that you've developed mm-hmm. how how do you approach helping a person like that I mean I would I mean I think that in order to even sign on to a class that has a teacher, you are tacitly admitting that you are open to another style and that maybe the way you do and have always done things is somewhat malleable. Sure. You know, and if you're not doing that and you're not willing to do that, uh, that's why my classes are (laughs) non-refundable. Okay. So... I have not encountered anybody who's not willing to be like, oh, I mean, you take a class because you want to try it a new way, right? Uh, Help me with your question again. Did I answer that one? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think essentially the question just being is do you – is there a way to sort of be like, okay, you're not necessarily trying to do the kinds of stuff I do, uh-huh. but I can see what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And I know like still like uh, steps to get you there. I was yeah. wondering if that's kind of the, the idea about it. Yeah. I mean, so like I would sit down and like that you need go get return, right? Like in a class, that's something that we talk about for an hour and a half. So, I mean, I don't mind talking to you about it on a podcast cause it's like not gonna, sure. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not like I'm giving out to the fucking colonel's formula here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like nothing, and that's the thing about to people that like want to shit on comedy classes is like, well, there is because there is no substitute for repetition and insight and reviewing, then 
what why not learn something that then makes your repetition inside and reviewing a little bit more efficient right. you know yeah, so yeah. it's like I, I could tell you i could give you an outline of every single thing i teach right now and it's still not going to be the class so it's fine but um i would just tell somebody like like a mitch hedberg joke person or like um who else is a great joke guy sam morell or uh jeselnik let's take jeselnik right because he's a brutal joke teller yeah and it's all self-contained. Self-contained. Stuff, yeah. His stuff works perfectly on Twitter. He, nobody is better at writing. There were people that write different jokes than him, but yeah. nobody is better. Sure. So, and I'm not trying to take that machine apart, but yeah. if he came to me and said, I want to learn how to tell a story, the, the a lot of times it ends up being a little bit like group therapy. Like, what do you want to talk about? Okay, what's the idea for the story? Presumably you come in with something. Well, you want to talk about this time that... I don't know, the cat ran away, you know, and what you had to do to get the cat back. Well, we've established that you care about a cat. You love the cat. How do you love the cat? What did you have to do to get the cat back? How did you feel when the cat came back? Like, so you just take this little thing and break it down into its components. And let's write 10 jokes about why you never thought you were a cat person or your contentious relationship and you ended up being the cat's dad when your girlfriend moved out even though you didn't want to be. <laughs> and how did you fall in love with the cat? Okay, now we've got an emotional connection, right? Mm-hmm. And anything, any time, any form of Western entertainment, once the, if you establish an emotional connection up top, you know why? It's going to get ripped away. So <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> I mean, every time. How so, sad, but that's true. Yeah. But it's true because it gives you a reason to go after it. So let's talk about why do you, it's not just my cat ran away, so I wanted to get my cat back. Well, who are you? What does the cat mean to you? Is the cat your mom's cat and now your mom has passed away or moved and you miss your mom and it's a proxy for that? Is it a cat that you rescued despite being allergic to cats? Like what is the very, very personal reason that you are here and do making the choices you're making right and so that makes it both very specific so you can write really specific jokes from that point of view Mm -hmm. about how maybe you're hung up on your tough guy exterior exhibit a and (laughs) but nevertheless you're super cuddly and now you have this cat and you're having to confront the fact that you're cuddly and we do that through the cat well that both makes it Specific, but really universal because there's tons of people out there that don't have cats, but nevertheless are aware that they're putting up a front that they, you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So then we're going to write some jokes about that. Mm-hmm. You see? And yeah. so we play a game in class I call the so that game where it's like, well, what did you want? I wanted the cat back. Well, why did you want it? What's going to happen when the cat comes back? Well, I'm going to feel at peace. Well, why does that cat give you peace? Well, the cat gives me peace because you know, this is the first thing in my life that trusted me. Well, oh, really? Well, what happens when the cat, why does the cat, what happens when you feel that sense of trust? And we go all the way down, it's excruciating. <laughs> and and the, the seriously, the exercise ends when the person's like, oh God, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, okay, good. So we're gonna take that last thing you said where you were like, I'm tapping out. That's probably the real truth of your story. And that's the subtext, Right, that drives the story, and those subtexts are so universal that it doesn't matter if it's a cat or a car or the your prom date or whatever. Anyone can be interested. Anyone can relate it at that kind of lower fundamental level. Right. Like I got a story about slaughtering kangaroos in the Australian outback. We've all been there. Yeah. (laughs) But what it's really about to me, like after ten years of telling it, I've discovered that the subtext is really trying to fit into 
this archetype of like what is like a natural man job right like a, like a proving some masculine issues through mm-hmm. work that were in my family from like great grandpa grandpa dad now me that nobody is asking me to prove but me nobody fucking cares <laughs> you know and so a lot of people can relate to legacy lineage slash hating their job stuff and then being in over their head so like I'm pretty sure I'm reasonably sure I'm the only comic out there talking about slaughtering kangaroos but I'm far from the only comic who's talking about family legacy stuff but that's just how I do it you see what I mean absolutely so we establish okay you're shooting kangaroos well why so that so that so that and then we hit that bottom yeah. Anyway, so, so yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. and and I think this this kind of parlays into another thing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned with the class that anybody that's going to do uh, a class probably is saying, "Look, my style is a little malleable. I'm not mm-hmm. that committed." I was thinking, I think that's true of almost I mean, the vast majority of new comics that I talk mm-hmm. to, myself mm-hmm. being one of mm-hmm. them. Very few people are like, "I'm committed to doing jokes just this way." I know mm-hmm. like three guys I can think that like, right. "I want to be this comic." Or uh-huh. So. I think a lot of comics would want to be doing stories. They have stories. They mm-hmm. would want to be doing them uh, just in their act. Mm-hmm. When you see people, maybe not just comics, but anyway, approaching story for the first time, mm-hmm. is there a kind of mistake that you see happen a lot, a kind of focus that you see happen a lot that kind of has a tendency to lead people in the wrong or unproductive direction? Yeah. And so what, what would one of that kind of thing be? Uh, just telling stories about the time you got real wasted. <laughs> you know okay exhibit a telling and then also taking a point of view and this is where i back to my like subtext so that thing right um not knowing what the subtext is or why you're doing something or and specifically not taking responsibility for your motivation in oh that's interesting doing something right and so i tell the class like ever since sex in the city came out there has been a ton of people especially in new york city so it's like 20-something girls. Doing who, their horn-up stories. Yeah, get up on stage and be like, oh my God, it is so hard to find a man in New York City. <laughs> I go out with the, it's just full of crazy guys. Here are three crazy guys. I go out with the craziest guys. Yeah. It's the most boring fucking story in the world, all right? A, because it's boring in the first place, and then B, because there's a lot of it. It's yeah, like yeah. sand in the desert, this story. Yeah. But all you have to do is be like, I am so lonely and desperate for a human connection and affection that I will overlook any number of red flags just to connect with another person. Here are three examples of the time a red flag hit me in the face and I said, cool. You know, and it's the same story, but if you take that responsibility, it's just like way more interesting because you know yourself and you know what you're doing and you, you don't have to know yourself like when it happened, but you gotta know yourself than the telling now. No, that's interesting because it's also, I mean, I'm thinking about that in terms of getting the audience on your side too. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting there saying, here's the vulnerable thing about me Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. can all relate to as opposed to, these other people suck. Let me yeah. tell you about that. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, yeah. or even the narcissistic kind of like, it's, I'm so crazy. Look at this thing. Yeah. Without yeah. any like three dimensionality. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there is a, what has become, at least in New York, quite a, um, quite a cliche, which is like, oh my God. And this is how I'm such a terrible person. And then yeah. you, so you tell some story that like, 
this some gross ends up being a humble brag in some way anyway yeah no like it's ashamed of being gross anymore yeah yeah i mean a lot of those stories that are told by dudes are actual the subtext is in case you were wondering i get so much pussy yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know and it's just like well dude that's not <laughs> what we came here to hear yeah you know and so like or this is why i'm a terrible person it was like well really well why is that terrible like it's much more interesting when you're like i was so focused on trying to prove something to myself that i ignored the needs of the people around me that's interesting yeah mm-hmm. you know and it's just that extra level of like responsibility so what do we say uh times i got wasted boring as fuck not taking responsibility um and like similarly the craziest things happen to me here's why like any story should be able to answer within the content of its own self the question why didn't you just go home? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's Uber now. You could just get an Uber in yeah. 10 minutes and leave. And there, Why didn't you? There's something interesting about this, I think, with storytelling, <laughs> is that you, you're kind of like, a lot of this needs mm. to be there for it to work. Mm-hmm. Which I think, you know, some of the stuff, it helps if your jokes have that in it, they have mm. that kind of humanity. But I see a lot of people do jokes mm. where, like you, you sort of mentioned, that Hannibal Burris style, mm-hmm. where you don't know them at the yeah. end of it. The, it can have an emotional depth, but it mm. doesn't need to. It's sounds like at some level that with storytelling as you describe it for it to even kind of resonate and Mm. and be worth listening to Mm. some of that stuff has to already be there yeah and i mean and i want to make it very clear i've used like hedberg hannibal burris and jeselnik as examples but it's because they are examples of comics that i incredibly admire of course yeah yeah yeah. top of the top of the field and they're the best examples of a style of comedy i myself don't necessarily do sure absolutely uh Team Jeff. When he, and he says this thing where he says, like, every story you tell or when you tell a story on stage, you're basically coming from the perspective of, like, here's a stupider, more naive, greedy, whatever me. Here's a time that I was an asshole. I'm standing here t- as a wiser version of the same person. So let's talk about who I was and how I learned it. Yeah. And it also gives you this tremendous freedom to either be an asshole in the story or be the smart guy. You're an unreliable narrator that can make fun of asshole you or asshole. You can let yourself be a villain because we've already established that you're not an ideal person. Yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of freedom along that continuum. And presumably, Ira Glass says every story is about change and how you changed. Like yeah. every single This American Life story is about the moment that something changed forever. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. You know, or a person changed forever. He had an acting uh, teacher that was talking about how every scene, you know, we start for a reason. We don't mm. start necessarily at the beginning. We start because this was the worst day of their life. Uh-huh. Like, that that's where the interesting gets. Mm. I'm, I'm curious, too, uh, just for a practical sure. question. Uh, should people start small when they're going to start in terms of story? Well, you know, it's tempting to go big. I mean, look, I'm the guy sitting here with 12 minutes about shooting kangaroos in the outback, so I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. say start small. <laughs> like, just start. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be epic. You know, you don't have, not everything is going to be the odyssey. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make where they just think about, oh, these are like the four or five most crazy things I've ever done. Yeah. Well, then you run out of gas. I'm 41 years old, right? I ran out of crazy stuff around 29, spent my 30s learning how to talk about it. Yeah. And now I'm like, now I'm going to just talk about my feelings, honestly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, I think um, it's normal to want to do your great big epic story, right? Yeah. But if you can't find the universal like subtext, like honesty in it, 
you don't need you don't need to go like build a whole ship and sail across the ocean like the story that has done the most for me in terms of like winning an audience over credits or whatever was a story about trying to get home with a bag of groceries on the subway when I'm having a really hard time in my life. Yeah, it's like Ulysses or something like that. Yeah. Or the whole, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, well, any journey, it can be an epic journey if you pack enough subtext yeah. into it. And that, I mean, that's one of the things I love about New York is like everybody, you know, you go there, there's all these crazy people in the street screaming or, you know, you see all this insane shit and you call your friends and talk about it. And then one day you find yourself doing it <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, there was a perfectly logical series <laughs> of events that led up into me throwing a raw chicken at a woman in a supermarket <laughs> or like whatever. You just that's had hilarious. a, you just didn't see the whole story. Right. Yeah. Right. That's great. Well, we really have to wrap up, but okay. do we want to do our last couple of questions? Yeah. I mean, one we probably can't do because it's more Austin related, right. but oh, uh, I don't mind I, it. oh, well, no, this <laughs> it was, it's usually like, what would you change about Austin comedy? Oh. That kind of thing. Oh. Uh, but, but if you have anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better transportation. Uh, what would people, yeah. what would people change about? So we, tell yeah. me what you would change about Austin comedy oh, and, I, yeah, and yeah. I'll see if I find it preferable to so the one, the one that I think, uh, we almost have to say now, mm-hmm. uh, once it got said, it's like, that's the best answer is industry. Mm-hmm. Like it would, be yeah. great if we could kind of make money here uh-huh. another comedy club would uh-huh. be great even if it wasn't larger industry just to have it so these are things mm-hmm. that i'd probably do oh and uh better people doing mics so there's a trend right now where a lot of the better people at this like lower level have kind of gravitated more towards doing shows and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and then the mics where you can really kind of work out mm-hmm. they've sort of been relegated to the less good people mm. not as common sense about how to do a good show mm. and so it really does reduce the consistent good stage time mm. i mean those are some of my thoughts on it do you guys run mics i do i run uh mm. didn't run three now i run two okay all right that's yeah. great yeah. now you run the best mics in austin i try yeah <laughs> i mean and then and also i mean what i would say about industry is like yeah of course like yeah. I, but i want to i live in like the second most industry city in America. There's only more industry in LA, but yeah. there's more quality stage time in New York or whatever. And I hear, I talk, you know, all, while I've been on this tour, I've talked to all these comics who are doing great stuff in their homes in New Orleans or yeah, here yeah, or yeah. whatever. And, and are like, yeah, you know, one day I'm going to move to New York and like really like make it. And I'm like, it's just like whatever you have here, there's just 10 more layers of the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like, there's like yeah there's all this industry there but and it's nice to be like buddies with like mark norman from doing mics or whatever yeah but i don't have an agent i don't have a manager nobody came to me and you know no nobody is offering me any kind of ticket either yeah yeah so it's like and the reason i'm here and like with the record and everything is it's just like well I get super bummed about not having any industry attention mm-hmm. sometimes. And then I'm like, well, all right, I don't, but what do I have that I can control? Well, mm-hmm. I can book my own tour. Yeah. I can raise funds for my own vinyl. I've always wanted to do, I'm just going to do that. And I heard Kyle Kinane on a podcast say one time that like he was just going to treat his comedy, like all the bands, all the punk bands he was into, just like keep doing venues, <coughs> keep doing like dive bars and stuff like that. Because he saw a lot of people compromise for industry attention. Yeah. And then they get stuck being like at the Chuckle Hut in Cincinnati for the rest of their life. And they've compromised what made them special and it kind of hit a ceiling. So I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to do. I get bummed about this every single day. And it boils down to like, well, what can I do and control? And I'll just do that. and. Yeah. I'll let you know next year if industry gives a shit or not. But I'm just saying presence or absence of it doesn't stop you from being awesome at it. And, and getting what better fa- and everything. Yeah. And what I found is like people 
like shit I, I, I don't really know LaShonda Lester at all but she's from here yeah and had I mean until a tragedy of happened course, yeah, but yeah. she was an Austin comic who was doing the same thing that every comic in New York was drooling over yeah yeah, yeah so absolutely. you know you see what I'm saying yeah no yeah. absolutely I, yeah. I think it makes a lot of sense I yeah. like the idea of, of just I mean away from comedy yeah. just focusing on the things that you can control exactly. yeah. and serenity prayer kind of stuff but it yeah it's, no, it's very very plus then, you can find an audience online and if you yeah. get enough numbers People, well, you know what I mean, and that's the thing here. In terms of being, because I'm not ready to mm. to be discovered, or anything, mm. so it's not yet my problem. Uh, yeah, but but I can definitely get better here. I think mm. that's what's good about Austin, at least thus far, mm. is that you, you're never. If you're decent, you're not. Uh, there's no. I would call it. Uh, you're not bereft of an audience. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean. So, mm. but um, and then the other question I would have, I, I like to to phrase it this way: mm. if you could go back and tell yourself something first year you, you get a time travel mm. you get a, you're gonna tell yourself some advice mm. do this don't do that don't think about this what would that be the concept of making it is not a tangible thing that you will know <laughs> when you get it I got you okay. it's not a ship to extend the ET metaphor it's not a ship that lands and welcomes you into its glowing heart you know like I know it's really cool to be able to talk to people who have done things that I would consider making it and I keep dropping Mark Norman's name because he's incredibly successful and incredibly nice guy that I met just doing that same weird 10 minute open mic at a hostel and I've seen him really like take off well that's not a guy that has stopped stressing out about his jokes being good yeah. you know I still yeah. see him being like eh this is not working fuck you know and like yeah. ditch material <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like he's he's always you know, he's not like me. I've been around tons of comics who have like made it, who are do not have time to hang out and have a beer after the show. And he always has. He always yeah. does. And he's like, yeah, you know, weird stuff happens on the road, man. And I'm still <laughs> out there. Like, what? what is just because he has some resume bullets that I don't doesn't mean that somebody was like, your name is now Life's on the made it now. list. Yeah. Welcome behind the velvet yeah. rope, you know? So, I mean, but I really stressed myself out trying to make it and I feel like I contributed to the dissolution of my marriage by being so focused on making it yeah uh, because I was with a person who wanted me to who wanted a degree of conventional success and I was just like make it make it make it and I was just like wasn't home I was out all the time yeah and in that space other stuff grows man so I wish I could say, hey, you know, you have to enjoy your life and enjoying your life isn't something you feel guilty about. You don't have to like not do things just because maybe one day somebody from Comedy Central might be there and you'll miss it. Like this shit happens, you know, so. Uh, all right, well, let's do endorsements. I'm just realizing now that I had nothing prepared. Um, so we like to endorse things uh, in the comedy world. It could be an album or mm -hmm. a special or a book or mm -hmm. a Or a guy movie. that you just started seeing. No, actually, yet. no more of that. Why? So, I thought we wanted to be you know, positive. Our, our listeners would like some things to, to check out this week, I think. Mm. Um, so, Jared, do you have any comedy-related? Uh, Paul Simon's Graceland is very funny, like as an out oh, um not really. Uh, we are all diseased. George Carlin. If you haven't listened to that, no. it's I think the center of his best work. It's got all the good stuff, the bad stuff. Do that. The good stuff and the bad stuff. Um, you know what? I I recommended Ellen's here and now last time. I'm gonna go ahead and recommend uh, whatever her first special was called. Now, when people like to make jokes about how much I like Ellen, I'll have you know, I don't even remember. It's called, it's called, it's called The Beginnings, I think, and that's coming to me. 
I'll be more prepared next week. Mm. And what about you, Jeff? Chad Daniels' Footprints on the Moon. Is, oh, is that the latest one? Yeah. Oh, so oh my God. Yeah. I, I listened to it while I was working out. I almost dropped a weight on myself. And that that and Bill Burr's podcast are why yeah. I have to listen to music when I'm exercising because I, <laughs> I pulled my back and I almost dropped a kettlebell when I was listening to Chad Daniels' album. And it's like it's like road trip music you know what i mean yeah. it's like it's like that that one of those albums that you hear over and over and like i was staying with a friend in new orleans who's having a hard time and i played it for her and she's just like crying laughing you know while driving me across town and it's just perfect everybody that hears it for the first time is like wow this is awesome yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I, what, I haven't heard it so i'm very excited yeah. you should, and what's fantastic about not just that album mm -hmm. about his stuff i think maybe any artist is kind of like this mm -hmm. but it, there's like five albums and they really do all improve when you listen to them not as like literally back to back but you know what I mean like that's that's a really good album mm. but his if there's like a development in his like mm. career and life because okay. he's so bio biographical mm. that you're really like oh what's so that was his like his him, like post college and that's his marriage okay. and yeah it's really good well, I'll try to do that yeah oh hey that's another guy who he lives in a little town in Minnesota you know? does he really yeah he's and he's like he does his road stuff, and then when he's at home, he really doesn't do comedy stuff. He hangs out with his kids. Oh, yeah. good. You know? That gives me hope, because that's yeah. my plan for my life. Yeah. Type. So That's fantastic. There's all, there's all kinds of ways of doing stuff. You hear that, you know? Katie? We're like, going to make it work. <laughs> 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 they don't all end Katie's her agent. Got and it. wife. But, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Anyway, thank you so much. This yeah. has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, man. What a good episode! I got a. That's got to be a better way to outro than that. Yeah, gotta, but you know, it's what you. It, was, it was a good episode, though. It was a great episode. I, I really. That. I got a lot out of it, and it was awesome. Too. And if you want to get more out of Jeff Zimmerman yourself, then you can buy his album. And I am not lying. It comes from Comedy Dynamics, and you can get that on iTunes. Um, pretty soon, he'll have vinyls, but they mm -hmm. they won't be ready until probably September. But then you can go to his website, jeffzimmerman.com, for those, and you can pre-order them. Uh, and then you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Simmerman. And this is J-E-F-F-S-I-M-M-E-R-M-O-N for those of you who are listening and not doing any reading. And you can see Jeff if you live or will be in the New York City area at UCB East on July 14th uh, at midnight is when his show, and I am not lying, happens. It's a variety show with all kinds of stuff going on. So go check that out, New York listeners. And if you want to see Jared, he will be once again hosting the Alamo. It's called Alamo Laugh House, yeah. our, our show because at Alamo. Because it's at Alamo Draft House. Yes, and then people will be laughing uh, to some extent. And a house next to it, actually. It's on a porch, but it's going to be really good. It's not. So it's free, and it's at Alamo Draft House on Wes Anderson, and it's at it's 9 o'clock tonight. And I think Jared and I, Jared and I are both on the show on the 15th, um, the Laugh Out Proud Gay 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 show at 10 so, o'clock at the Institution so Theater. So queer, so funny, a little more queer than it is funny, to be honest. What a lot was of it times. called? What was it called before, Stan? No. Bola Laugh Out Proud. It was called. Bola Come Comedy. Yeah, that was it. Bola Comedy. Bola Comedy is yeah. what it, it was the old name, but now it's Laugh Out Proud. Oh, Stand Up Queer. That's it. Was that yeah, what it yeah. was? I knew it was something gay. All right. The, uh, yeah, it was Fruit Bowl. No, the, the other the other show. Oh, the other does, show is Fruit which Bowl, which is also a great show, and I like that name way better. Fruit Bowl. It's yeah, great. it's too bad that he gives us Laugh Out Proud when we could be doing Fruit we Bowl. We do. I we do both of them. You've been on both. Well, yeah. Both. I just mean you always want to be on Fruit Bowl. I like the institution a lot. Anyway, it's great. All right. See you guys next week. national.